Hello, and welcome to the 12th episode of the Guidehouse Insights Plugged In Podcast. We have hit a dozen episodes. In this podcast, we go deep into emerging sustainability topics from the grid to your car, from the phone to your home. I'm Jake Foose, a research analyst on the Insights Transport team. My recent research has been about revolutions in public transit and all the ways that it can drive sustainability. And today, we have a returning guest who is going to be co-hosting this month, Aaron Winkler. Aaron, give a little intro. Yeah, hi, I'm Aaron Winkler, I'm returning again, which is an honor. I'm a research analyst and consultant on the Insights Power and Renewables team. My recent research has been focused on long-duration energy storage systems and the onshoring and manufacturing of solar development. This month, however, we are speaking with Jared Foyer about his work on smart cities. Jared is a research and analysis consultant with the Guidehouse Insights Built Environment Team, where he works on a variety of sustainability-related subjects such as smart cities, energy storage, microgrids, and EVs. You'd think he worked on the podcast with a resume like that. Jared has a bachelor's in business administration with a double major in environmental sciences from Emory University, where he also played on the Ultimate Frisbee team, something you can absolutely guess based on his general vibe. Welcome to Plugged In, Jared. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Welcome to Plugged In. Jared, it seems your background studies are in business, a distinct focus on sustainability, and I kind of know how you got into that line and those studies, because that seems to be extremely fitting for what you do and we do here at Guidehouse Insights. Definitely. I'd be more than happy to share the, the story. So back in 2017, when Hurricane Harvey came and hit Houston, my mom's house unfortunately flooded eight feet of water. And during that time, I actually got the opportunity to take a boat to my house because we had to break in and like take salvage all the goods that were upstairs. So like no one could break in and like steal them. Anyways, coming around the corner on this boat and seeing my house submerged in eight feet of water, I kind of had this like surreal aha moment where I was like, wow, like climate change, you know, it's real and impacts anybody. It doesn't matter, you know, your political leanings or what your race or your gender, you know, it's there to, and it will continue to persist. So I also happened to be taking my first environmental science class at the time. So it was really unique for me to live through a climate induced event and then start learning about it immediately. And I was lucky enough to have a, a great professor. So during that time, I got pretty passionate about sustainability and decided wherever I went to school, which happened to be Emory University, I would study sustainability. At Emory, I double majored in business and environmental sciences, apart from being a part of Greek life and, you know, the ultimate Frisbee team and some Jewish life. I was also the president of two environmental related clubs. One was called Emory Sustainable Business Group, which was essentially created to provide a space for students on campus who are passionate about both business and sustainability. We brought in guest speakers like the, the chief sustainability offer, uh, officer of Coca-Cola to come speak. And it was just like a good place to voice thoughts and learn cool topics. And then the other club was called Emory Herbicide Free Campus. And as a part of that club, I got to construct a 148 square foot living wall on campus, which is still standing today. So that is really cool to have like a lasting touch on Emory within the realm of sustainability. And then that brought me to Guidehouse. I was lucky enough to get an internship during the summer of 2021 to the Guidehouse built environment team. And I had a wonderful time during the internship. And afterwards, they extended me a full-time offer, which I gladly took. And after my senior year of college in the summer of 2022, 
I became a full-time consultant with Guidehouse Insights and am happily working here today. So Jared, part of what you do is you create trackers for various fields. So can we get an idea first of what a tracker is? Sure. So a tracker is just one of several Guidehouse Insights products. Guidehouse Insights has trackers across a variety of technologies such as microgrids, energy storage, smart meters, smart cities. And depending on the, the subject, on the tracker definitely captures different things. Since this podcast is focused on smart cities, I'd be more than happy to cover what the smart city tracker dubs into. So Essentially, the Smart City Tracker um, captures, I think now we're out over a thousand different smart city related projects. So it starts by like capturing the source and it breaks down like the different segments of smart cities, whether it's a buildings project, a transportation, energy, water, or government related project. It also captures when the, the project started, when it is complete or is projected to be complete or, or has been completed, who, who's financing it or investing in the project. And then it also provides an overall summary. So that data is stored on this one sheet, kind of like a, a library per se. And then on the more front side of the tracker, there's a dashboard which kind of like pulls from that library and it generates like a collective overall summary of statistics, like the, the percentage of projects that are transportation focused or the percentage of funding that is coming from private investors versus public investors. So each each tracker's dashboard can look at different things. And like, like I mentioned, all the different trackers track aspects more pertaining to that technology. So the microgrid tracker would track microgrids that have been been developed and would look at like the types of assets in the microgrid, like the different types of energy storage or generator type and their load capacity and stuff like that. So I just like on a, a smaller scale, like kind of want to know how your trackers like get these things they track. Like you're tracking a thousand smart cities projects. How do you find this information? How do you validate the quality of the sources? How do you how do you populate these? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And I would say our primary source tends to be press releases from various technology company websites. Also, or just like in news articles, a lot of it is also like just plain old Google searching. Jared, something that's always really interesting is the analyst insight that comes out of those kinds of trackers. So I'm going to ask you a few questions about those specifically to the smart cities. So when we say smart cities, we're not talking about being in a college town. What is a smart city? That's a great question. And there's no clear answer, but Guidehouse uses the definition of this. Um, smart city integrates technology into a strategic approach around sustainability, citizen well-being, and economic development. And those policy objectives are usually met through innovation across all aspects of city infrastructure and operations, including the energy and water sectors, urban mobility, smart buildings, and improvements to government services. Yeah, I feel like there's an easy way to be like, you know, San Francisco has all of this tech, it's super cool, their city has to be smart. But there's other smart city projects in some surprising places, and one in particular, Boulder, Colorado, which is where you are, 
is a smart city based on some of their more recent programs. Is there anything in particular about Boulder that and their smart city programs that's exciting for you or you find interesting? Um, yeah, so funny you say that. You know, Boulder is where I work and where Guidehouse has its head sustainability office. When I commute into Boulder to work, I've had to pay for parking in a parking garage. And I that is where I found my most, or to me, what I think the most interesting smart city related project is. Essentially, this parking garage is unlike most others that you will see. In common parking garages, you pull up to the gate, hit a button, they give you a ticket, you take it. And then when you leave, you stick it back in a dispenser and it tells you how much you own. You have to insert your credit card. It takes a little bit of time and can lead to long lines. This parking garage in Boulder uses cameras and AI to essentially read your license plate. The first time you do enter, you do need to like enter in some information on your your car, like what your license plate is, just to, to verify that. But once you've done that the first time, the camera will read your license plate when you enter, track the time, and then also do the same thing when you leave. So it's fully autonomous. You don't have to interact with anything and it automatically charges your credit card when you leave and calculates that using AI. You know, it's not like a blockbuster revolutionary piece of technology, but everybody has busy schedules. And I think people would appreciate getting like a minute back in their day to do whatever, walk their dog, spend more time at work, watch sports. Yeah, I've definitely been in that parking garage. So it definitely knows my license plate. But thanks to Jake, everybody who listens to this podcast also knows my license plate. <laughs> well, yeah, if you ever see our uh, silver cruising down I-70 at 80 miles an hour going to the, the mountains to ski, that is probably me. Good to know. The Guidehouse Plugged In podcast, the only one where the host docks themselves regularly. <laughs> Jared, when you, you look at all these like smart cities projects, because it seems that it's like a, a city doesn't become smart, like a smart cities project is different than a city being smart. So where are these smart cities popping up globally? Where are the most projects appearing? Where are the most cities that are having all of this happen? Sure. So I'd first like to start off and say that I feel like a smart city is a bit of a perfectionist idea, a bit of a utopian society, almost like no, no city is a perfect smart city. I think a, a good way to kind of picture one might be looking at like a, the idea of a 15 minute city where literally anything you can need is within 15 minute walk of where you live, your schools, your grocery stores, the movie theater. And, and that essentially would reduce or almost eliminate the need for, for cars, which are a huge source of carbon emissions. These cities would also be fully powered on renewable energy, have building automation systems, and, and a lot of many, many technologies in place to ensure that it is a net zero carbon polluting city and that everything is conveniently accessible for everybody living there. However, while that is just like a perfectionist idea, there are some really cool cities around the world that are headed in that direction. I, through my research, I've definitely noticed that more developed countries such as you know the United States, Canada, a lot of Europe and parts of Asia Pacific have higher frequencies of smarter cities as compared to like developing nations or underdeveloped nations who are more focused on providing you know their people with energy and food and water and and stuff like that like the basics. So 
based off my research, I do have a handful of cities I'd love to list that have been highlighted in one of my analyst insights of being some more ideal smart cities. And, and these are in no particular order, Sydney, Seoul, Prague, New York City, London, Hong Kong, Dubai, Chicago, Boston, Barcelona, and Buenos Aires. And as you've noticed, their cities are on pretty much every continent, um, excluding Antarctica. Y'all don't have any cities yet. Probably never will. But yeah, so they, they can really be anywhere on this on this planet, but more, more so around more developed nations. So as we talk about utilities and kind of like behind the meter technologies, we don't really talk a lot about meters specifically being something that's interesting. So what makes a meter advanced? Yes, so that's a good question. There are there have only been two generations of meters. And right now we're in the second generation, which is the generation that makes them more advanced. But essentially what that means is these new meters have many more capabilities than first generation meters. When your meter collects data from your house on your energy usage, like how much energy your refrigerator is using or your dishwasher or lights are using, that information can instantly be communicated back to the utility using this second generation smart meter. And then a lot of utilities have programs in place where based off of that information, they can make recommendations to the end user. So per se, if they they notice based off of grid congestion that, you know, hey, it's a lot cheaper to run your dishwasher or your washing machine overnight. You know, the app will let you know that. And it's a win-win. The, the user doesn't pay as much for energy. The grid is less congested. Yeah, and so smart, yeah, smart meters are not only used for appliances with your in your home. You know, they're also attached to large commercial and industrial buildings and electric vehicle infrastructure. So they can be used to notify, you know, when the best time of day to charge your, your car would be, or how how buildings can save more on energy costs um, based off of peak grid times. Jared, when I was reading your, your insights about smart metering, I noticed the point about companies using these private LTE networks to connect all of these smart meters. Could you kind of like talk about that? I thought that was really cool. Yeah, so private LTE is a newer but not super new communications technology. If you remember like when the first iPhone came out, like you probably had 2G or 3G coverage. Private LTE is 4G is just like one step higher than that and one below 5G, which is the newest form. But what private LTE allows is it provides a robust and a low latency network for sending data. So that means it's cheaper to, to send large amounts of data. It's more secure. It requires less power and it offers higher bandwidth. So it essentially just, you know, if you think about a freeway, it just makes it less congested and easier for the transport of data, which is very pertinent today when people, you know, need to send over energy usage data to utilities in an instant. How long have these, has this technology been around? Like IoT in terms of smart cities? Yeah. I think IoT in terms of smart cities has been around for at least the last 10 to 15 years. It's definitely been a lot more advanced within the last five to 10 years. Yeah, so it's been in existence. It's not obvious. It's not very noticeable to like the common pedestrian. I think, you know, in order to have a knowledge about it, you'd 
need to spend a significant time reading up on it, talking to an expert. But it's really interesting information because, you know, like the blood in your body and the cells in your body, it's what powers, you know, our world, um, just kind of like behind the scenes. And, and without it, you know, we'd be a little less advanced. And the little things in life that, you know, are very convenient, like I mentioned, like just going rolling in and out of a parking garage without having to pay for it manually, those things wouldn't exist. So only only anticipate that it's going to further develop. I think our lives are going to get a lot more seamless, which is great in some aspects. But yeah, it's a very exciting future. As far as kind of the public knowledge about these technologies go, how important would you say it is to get people more on board with these ideas? Or are these things that can kind of more or less happen in the background and just have develop into people's lives naturally? I think for the most cases, it can develop in the background. I think it's more important for governments and large private and public companies to be more knowledgeable about this because usually these are the entities who are funding um, the construction and build out of these technologies. And I think most importantly, that, you know, the information is communicated clearly by experts who have actual (laughs) backgrounds on these technologies. Yeah, no, there, there needs to be a lot more collaboration also between um, government and private and public companies. You know, we're all in this together. We're all humans. We're all living on the same planet. And with more collaboration and more communication between different en- variety of entities, I think we can make a lot more progress as a nation and as a, as a world on this front of developing out more smart cities. And it's a win-win. By making the city smarter, you're probably going to improve the quality of life for everybody in all socioeconomic backgrounds. So, you know, there's really not any negative cases to be made. Um, yes, sometimes the technology is nascent and it's expensive, but it's definitely worth the investment. Joe, that's a really profound point to end on. Uh, I'm going to ask a much less profound question because we always like to close out with asking people about really weird or notable or strange things they find when they get these like deep dives. So in your research as our our tracker of every city, have you ever found anything strange looking at all these topics? Working with you, James. <laughs> <laughs> I will put that in. Oh, no, don't do that. <laughs> okay, yeah, I think the strangest thing I've noticed while researching topics is how many of these topics I'd never heard of before researching them. It probably goes to show that, you know, like, I come from, you know, a very well-educated background, like top 20 university, and I didn't know this stuff. And, and we have people on this planet who didn't have the privilege of even attending such a prestigious university. And so they probably don't know either. <laughs> is that is that wrong to say? No, I mean, that's an interesting point that, like, I mean... I barely knew about some of these projects in these cities and I like live in Chicago. Yeah. Jared, thanks so much for joining us. This was a wonderful conversation and I certainly learned a lot. To learn more, the report is available on Guidehouse Insights webpage. To keep up to date with the podcast, please feel free to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. We look forward to you joining us for our next conversation in March. Thank you to Guidehouse for providing us this platform of discussion. To keep up to date on larger Guidehouse Insights work, follow our Industry Insights blog on the website, www.guidehouseinsights.com. I don't ever want to do the outro again. (laughs) Thank you so much, Jared.